Hello, everybody. Welcome to another week of Deep Cuts. Uh, today's episode I'm particularly excited about because we have an uh, OG guest, as I would say. We have a guest from the original Deep Cuts when I was doing this on Instagram Live in the middle of the pandemic, and uh, we get to bring him back. So for those of you who don't know, uh, the guest today is Michael Herklotz, Barry Otego. Um, so I'm very excited to have him on today, and let's uh, bring up our guest, Mr. Herklotz. How are OG. you? OG. <laughs> OG. You nice. were one of the people I remember. I remember during the pandemic sitting around just like everybody else, going like, what are we going to do now? <laughs> just being like, what in the world's going on, and what what am I going to do now? And I remember you, I was probably you were probably in a similar position where had all this travel planned and all these little things going on. And all of a sudden, all of that was just non-existent. And you Crazy. were people to kind of embrace technology and digital stuff. And I remember watching lots of your Instagram live. So I tell people you were one of the inspirations behind Deep Cuts because I was watching you and I was like, wow. I was like, he's like showing all of us media people out because you were doing these great interviews. He had like very engaging guests and questions and uh, I was just like, I have to figure this stuff out. I mean, I was I'm impressed, man. I mean, you've stuck it out and it's gotten better <laughs> and better. I did it for, I think I did 14, something like that, 14 back to back. And then I was like, you media people can have it. I'm out. <laughs> but you were, but since then I've seen you host and uh, with the great smoke, like doing interviews and stuff like that. So I was like, you have a whole new career that kind of like opened up because of the, uh, people seeing you be able to, to host and talk to people. So I yeah, thought that was fun. If Ferry Otego doesn't work out, I'll be an auctioneer and a, and a TV host. Oh yeah. I forget about your, your great auctioneer <laughs> talent that people get to see every year on display at a um, pro cigar. I know Ben was asking, he's like, did Michael did do his pro, pro cigar bit? And everybody's like, yep. <laughs> like, it was great. Of course. And let me tell you, I mean, what a year. You know, we we went into Pro Cigar having missed last year, and you know the the one of the things that have gotten hit the hardest through the the pandemic is obviously charities and and philanthropy where there just hasn't been the opportunity to support. And that's uh, those are my opening remarks when we started the auction. Like, look, we missed a year, the charities missed a year, but the need did not miss a year. The need has been there throughout all of this, if not more so, and so everyone is going to leave this auction broke. And I'll tell you what, man, we raised $340,000. It was unreal. And that's like always, I know a lot of people watching this probably haven't experienced pro cigar, um, but it's definitely like the highlight, like you have all these great events going on and you get to do all the tours, but the gala night is like, especially this so important, especially because, you know, you just, all the money that's raised and the benefit, you know, that it has for people in the Dominican Republic who are making these cigars. It's just, I think it's part of the festival that maybe doesn't get enough attention because everybody's always wrapped up in the cigars. And I and, agree with that. And it's not to take away from what the festival is. The festival right. really is about learning about premium cigars, learning about tobacco, spending time with manufacturers, spending time with one another. But just that one night is about something a little bit different. It's doing all of that and being being able to help people. And I mean, if you think about how much money is raised via this, how many lives are made better because of this and the generosity of, of people in our industry, whether they're consumers or retailers and manufacturers, the, the generosity is really overwhelming um, in the premium cigar world. I feel super blessed to be a part of it. I also feel blessed to be able to extract all that money out of them from the auction stand. Yeah, and I always say that what people don't get or see in the tobacco industry is that charitable side. And there's so many companies within the industry that are doing good that for whatever reason, you know, they don't get that media attention for, for that part. Like I said, it's not just about the cigars. It's about giving back. And so yeah. that part of Pro Cigar, like I said, is a really important part that hopefully more people will get to know and uh, get to see firsthand. Um, 
but I saw that you were super busy that weekend because I was following along on, on Instagram and I saw that you were there and then you were jumping on a, a plane and going <laughs> to Florida to do that. And you were in your Hawaiian shirt, which I was like, wow, it's like, it's fun to see you like outside of a, a suit because I, we're so used to all these years. I think the, the chapter, you know, the Nat Sherman chapter of your life was all about the suits. Now you, you seem a lot more relaxed and like really kind of in your, you know, in your element. Uh, well, I tried walking around my house in a suit and my kids were finally <laughs> like, Daddy, what are you doing? You have nowhere to go. You have nothing to do. Just stop pretending. All right. Just stop it. So, but I do. I still love getting decked out and putting a suit on. When I go to the city, I get dressed. Obviously, when I when I do events and stuff, I get dressed. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's cash. Although I can tell you, the likelihood of seeing me in a Hawaiian shirt again is probably <laughs> very small, man. Very small. Was, but I did save it. I did save it. Oh, just in it was, case. It's one of those things, like maybe if they ever have like a cigar industry Smithsonian. <laughs> You, I think you need to contribute that to. Uh, it's gonna go like in one of those Hard Rock Cafe frames. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Funny. Well, I wanted to have you back on because I was looking at my phone. You know, I think must have been uh, last month when I was like, "Who can I invite on as guest?" And I was like, "Michael Herklotz," because you were on, like I said, the original version of this when we were it was on. Probably this time, right? Was it March? It was April second. I looked at it this afternoon but you were on like one of the first people on and 2020 we, yes 2020 so a lot has happened since 2020 you were with a completely different company has a whole bunch of other things going on and so i was like this is a great time for a follow-up um because there's just so much going on with ferry otago and i want people to know more about ferry otago and about where you are right now uh, in your career and, and life, because I'm, like I said, so much changed since last time we spoke. <laughs> so, like, literally everything has changed. Since right. Last time we spoke. Right. So, I guess I don't want to go too far back because for people who are who are watching this, if you go onto the Deep Cuts website and the YouTube, there is the original Michael Herklotz interview where we talked about the past and all this other stuff and. and there's articles on it. So all that is kind of like documented, well-documented, I think. Yeah. So we don't need to backtrack too much. But going back to how this all began, like the whole Ferry Otago process, at what point did you think maybe I want to start my own brand? Well, I've always dreamed of having my own brand. Um I just never thought I would be able to pull it off, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I've always, as, as uh, was recognized a couple of years ago, I've always had what I would consider to be an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as a musician, I would hustle and get my own gigs and start my own band and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, but largely from, from a professional standpoint, I've always worked for other people. And I've been very fortunate to be able to work with other people and, and grow my career. Um, and so some of that entrepreneurialism, um, particularly the risk-taking part of entrepreneurialism, I think uh, wore off a bit and was replaced with a bit of comfort, um, having a job I could, I could lean on and I could depend on. Um, but there was always a, a dream of, of being more to the business to the industry than, than just an employee. Um, and so when, um, once we finally made the decision that Nat Sherman was going to close, that we couldn't sell it, um, you know, I really just thought very hard about what my options were in the industry, out of the industry with other companies. And, um, you know, I feel super, super lucky. I spent a tremendous amount of time talking with friends and colleagues from other companies, owners, um, uh, high-level executives, you know, all big companies, small companies, just, just, you know, just picking their brain. Like what did they think would be the right fit or the next move? And, and almost everyone um, said the same thing, which was, look, we would love to have you in our organization, but this is the time for you to do your own thing. I and mean, everybody said it. 
And that was kind of hard to ignore. So my original plan was to do Ferriotego. I had owned the, the brand for many, many years just to protect it. Mm-hmm. And um, um, so I thought, you know, I would just do a small startup and um, start the brand, do it very simply, work with the Casadas and, and start. Um, but as time went on through the closing process of Nat Sherman, um, it became clear that um, that the thinking of Altria had changed a bit from not being willing to sell the brands to at least being interested in considering what a brand acquisition would look like. And um, once it was clear that they would potentially consider selling the brands, then that really um, that lit a fire that is kind of difficult to explain because the way that the deal was contemplated first was to sell the company, which obviously I had no ability to purchase a company. Um, And in fact, I was charged with selling the company. And so it would be a conflict for me to also try and buy it. So it was just way too difficult and way too big. And, and so that was that, but, then the the thought of the brands continuing that really that felt like my work um was being put up for sale without me and that really got me kind of fired up and um so i confirmed that in fact they were considering the sale of the brands and then um expressed interest and then immediately got together with now my business partner brendan who was the former cfo of Nat Sherman and said, Hey, we might have a real opportunity here. I don't know what you were thinking about doing after this, but what do you think about this plan? And he was like, absolutely. Let's, let's at least try. And we put together a letter of intent and we sent it, um, to the, to the big top of Altria. And they said, if you're serious, then let's really work together and see if we can pull this off. And so we got them an offer in seven days. And uh, the way they explained it was we weren't the biggest, we weren't the highest offer, we weren't the lowest offer, but we were definitely the right offer. And and they really loved the work that we did. They loved the category. It just wasn't core to them long-term. And it was a resounding yes. And then we got to work forming the company and doing the deal and the transaction. And that was just at the end of 2020. Um, so we didn't announce it until 2021. And then Brendan and I just got to work re-engaging with the factories, letting them know the good news, like don't throw anything out. Let's, <laughs> let's pick this up in January. But the good news is, you know, we're going to, we're going to hold on to the brands and we're going to bring them back and we're going to um, make them better than ever. So far, so good. Now you talked about that initial, I won't, I don't want to say fear, but that feeling that when you were with Nat Sherman, like it was comfortable because you didn't have to worry about <laughs> all the stuff that a, a individual entrepreneur who owns their own business has to worry about. And I think a lot of people, you know, including myself at different points in my career have, have felt like that where you're just like, I would love to be out on my own, but then I have to worry about this, 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 <laughs> and this. And you know, the, the, there's a certain comfort level of just having somebody else worry about that for, for you. Well, I'll tell you, there's, there's in all likelihood, um, there is there is just no way this would have happened without Brendan. I mean, right. he's, his skill set is everything that mine is not. I'm I'm I know I know cigars. I know tobacco. I need to. I, there's obviously plenty more to learn. Um, that's a never ending journey. But um, you know the all the front of house work I've always done in all my roles. I I feel like I've I continue to get better and I continue to try and learn. But the idea that I would have to try and learn from scratch accounting and compliance and, and, you know, all that administrative back office stuff, which I've had the good fortune of having when you work for other companies uh, to have to learn that was really quite paralyzing. And so to have Brendan as my partner in this business, um, it was just perfect. You know, everything he's good at, I have absolutely no experience in. I, I'm learning a little as we go. But it was a it was as much a lock for him as this side was for me. And I think all the books that I've read about business have always said that's what you have to do 
is you have to kind of recognize what areas you're not competent or very good at and find somebody who is very good at those parts. And then, you know, that's how a good business and good, you know, leadership team is all formed. So it sounds like yeah. that you realize early on rather than trying to say, I'm just going to do all these things myself, which um, I know some entrepreneurs try and it usually doesn't end well. <laughs> um, well and, th and then you have to figure out how to get to market, mm -hmm. which again, that was another huge hurdle. And we looked at a million options. Um, but we were again, once, once again, super fortunate um, to align with Davidoff USA. I'd worked for them for 10 years prior to Nat Sherman. And then with Nat Sherman worked with them uh, because they manufacture our host blend in Honduras. So really a 20 year relationship with Davidoff and, and just through, you know, regular dialogue about bringing the brands back, they asked how we were going to market. And when we walked them through some of our initial ideas and concepts, they said, well, let's think differently and work together and see if there's an opportunity for Davidoff USA to distribute it, which, you know, is, is ridiculous. I mean, what an incredible opportunity. And, and it worked out it worked out great. And once again, they talk about, you know, filling in the blanks. So here are Brendan and I, now we've got a company and we've got this, this suite of products. That's, that's not a startup portfolio by any means. It's a very mature portfolio of products. How do you stand that up as a startup? And then you find, you know, a, a group with similar mindset, like passion, um, mutual respect and admiration. And, all the skill sets that we don't have and the talent we don't have. And once again, perfect away we go and we're in market, but it's not without, let me tell you, you know, uh, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of humble pie to eat when you are starting all over from scratch, trying to grow a business. And, um, you know, the, going back to what I said earlier, the, the conversations I had with folks, I mean, from as diverse a group as I'll give you three, Matt Booth, four. Matt Booth, Pete Johnson, uh, Carlito Fuente, and Glenn Wolfson from Drew Estate. I mean, you, <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, and that's just four. But I mean, what a crazy, a CEO of a major company, Carlito, a godfather of our industry, mm -hmm. Matt and Pete, you know, the kings of boutique. And to have that level of, of just, support and guidance and and you know thinking partners was was awesome i remember when the news came that nat sherman was shutting down and all that stuff and everybody's like oh my gosh and then there was this all these articles and youtube videos about what's what's michael herklotz gonna do next what was that like because that, that was i'm sure that was such a weird experience because you kind of probably knew after speaking to uh, you know enough people and kind of get you know, speaking with Brendan and figuring out what you were going to do. And then there's all the speculation. It was so strange and amusing to a, a degree that that was the news item. Like, what's Michael Herklotz going to do next? And it was like all the speculations. What was that like watching all that unfold and, and seeing that the industry wanted to know what, you know, where were you going to land next? Were you going to stay in the industry? Were you going to go out of the industry? Man, no one has ever asked me that question. Um, <laughs> So the timing of it, we announced that we were going out of business in July and um, we announced Ferriotego in January and we didn't complete the Ferriotego deal until the very end of 2021. So to be honest, when all those first videos started coming out with speculation, I did not have a plan. I mean, it was, I was following along with everyone else saying, oh, that's an interesting idea. Maybe I'll, I was taking notes on some of them, you know, like, oh, I didn't think about that. Let me try that. Um, you know, at the time, um, I was so focused on just closing the business the right way. I didn't spend a whole lot of time watching that stuff, um, which is probably good in hindsight. Um, yeah. <laughs> But what I did feel throughout the whole process was just this incredible sense of, of support. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, particularly my time at Nat Sherman and especially the last three years at Nat Sherman, 
you know, that was met with, with some pretty, pretty heavy challenges um, during the time that Altria owned us. I mean, there was a lot of, of um, challenges. We'll leave it at that. And, and a lot of that ended up becoming personal. I certainly took it personally as a challenge, but I also was attacked personally. And that always felt, you know, I, I never blamed anybody because obviously people would say what they're going to say. Um, but it, it did give me some sense of pause knowing that this news was going to come out. I assumed it would be met with some of the same haters um, who would be saying things like, ha, good, ha, you know, whatever. And, and it wasn't. And, and instead, it was really a, a resounding, you know, sigh. It was a resounding, you know, um, gasp of, of disappointment. I think even the people who didn't like the fact that, that Nat Sherman was owned by Altria um, still felt the what the loss was going to be um, in a premium cigar industry without Nat Sherman. Um, and, and so really, despite the hypotheses of where I was going to go and or what I was going to do. Um, what I took away from all of it was not necessarily what the what the guesses were, but that so many people cared. That was really it was really heartwarming. What the most interesting thing I think that came out of that um that time frame was that that kind of again it kind of amused me because I'm always on social media it's part of my job to kind of follow what's going on in the industry. Uh, you, you know, it, the announcement came out, Nat Sherman is going away. You know, this is going to be our last day. And then you see like this major flood of interest in, in Nat Sherman's cigars all of a sudden, like how did that feel? Because that was, I would think that would be a little like, you were like, it's great, but it would be nice if you all had, <laughs> were, were interested, like, beforehand like now well, like they, but here's the thing the that flood was not um it was not certainly not from the population that didn't like us right um but the flood of interest was really from the people who loved us and to be honest as maybe sick as it sounds um there was something really nice about about going out the way we did in the time that we did it, I mean, don't forget, there was nothing wrong with the business. There was nothing wrong with the company. There was nothing wrong with our products. It was purely a business decision to exit the category from big tobacco, which I don't blame them for making that decision. But we were able to go out in a time when people needed support. And so retailers all around the country who had sold our products for years were able to buy in at a better price and be able to, to make a little more margin when they had been closed for six weeks, you know, from the, from the pandemic and same with consumers that they were able to, to load up on, on cigars that they had depended on for decades mm -hmm. and they got to buy them at a better price and stock up and know that they could look in their humidor and they're still going to have their favorite cigars for what, what would have been, you know, maybe years to come. Uh, after we exited. Um, now, fast forward, now we have the brands and they're back in market. So now I'm telling everyone, all right, all right, enough <laughs> with the old stuff. Let's move it through, make room for the new. Come on, let's go. Um, but but it, was, um, it was nice to go out the way we did. And it was nice to see the support. And it was nice to see some of that validation that um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the cigars. People love the cigars and they love the blends and they, they didn't know how to live without them. And so they went crazy looking for him. That's a lot of, it's a lot of validation. I just, before we kind of close out this part, um, I just remember reading all the, the speculations from the different websites and bloggers and stuff about what's, what's Michael Herklotz going to do. I think the most interesting one that stood out to me was, you know, they, they were wondering like, maybe Michael Herklotz will become the president of the PCA. And I was like, does he want that kind of like pressure, like to go from, <laughs> to go from Altria and all the pressure there to suddenly, you know, that kind of position? I was like, I don't think he would, I don't, I was like, I don't know, you, you know, I mean, we speak a lot, but I was like, I don't think that's kind of in his mind frame. Like, 
I want that much pressure <laughs> to. I mean, that was that was one of the more out of the box um, hypotheses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had lots of conversations with the PCA throughout the process. None of them were job interviews. <laughs> uh, but again, I mean, for someone to say that though means that they think I could do it, and that's a that's really kind of uh, a special thing. Well, of course. I mean, you've like, you're one of those people in this industry that, you know, you named all these people that you went to for advice, but every time I interview somebody you and, you know, and I go to trade shows and all that kind of stuff, like you're one of the people that they always seek out and they know what you're about and that you give them good advice and feedback and all that stuff. And you have all, for all these years. So I think that, you know, people, trust you. And I think that, you know, for all, all these different speculations of what you were going to do, it all came down to, they saw you in those positions because they, they would trust that you would bring the same kind of integrity that you brought to Nat Sherman and to these different other ventures. And I'm you sure know, there's I, universe I, out there where you did become the PCA president <laughs> or all this weird stuff. <laughs> for me, what, I started in the business in 1999. When you look at the um, the culture at the time and the culture today, premium cigar enthusiasts are premium cigar enthusiasts. But you know, look at what has happened just in technology in those whatever 22, 25 years. Um, it's very easy, I think to want to move faster. It's very easy to want to um, get bigger. Uh, you know, in, in any hobby, there's always this sort of, with the advent of social media, this, this desire to be the authority, this desire to, to be an expert, to be a, a, an influencer or a celebrity or whatever. Man, um, I feel so lucky that I started when I did. Because when I started, um, you had to earn a seat at the, at the table. And I've been in now, whatever it is, 22 years. And every day, I'm still trying to earn a seat at the table. I still feel like the new guy, even though I've been around as long as I have. Um, and that's because there, I will always be surrounded by people who know more than I do um, that I can learn from. And... You know, it's. I appreciate you saying what you did because, um, it again. That's that's validation. Like, um, I, I'm I'm still, I'm still me. I'm still authentic. You know, what you see is what you get. I, I don't have. Maybe I post more pictures and suits on Instagram than I actually wear in real life, but still, I, you know, I'm I'm a pretty straight shooter and I'm honest and. You know, my word is my bond, and that's all I've got. And that's how I was at 19 when I started in this business. That's what you get now at 41. It's still the same. And um, and I, I try and be a good friend to people, and I try and be um, useful to this industry and give back to the industry when I have the opportunity to. And I think that should be um, that should be all of our goals. If we have the privilege of being able to make a living in this industry – we have to make sure that we pay the industry the respect that it deserves and, and make sure that we, we pave the road for those coming after us to have it a little easier, you know, so that they can contribute something different and I can learn from them too. Well, definitely. Like I always say, you probably taught me more about how to write uh, an article than, <laughs> than anybody else. Cause working on that article, that cover story for that magazine with, with you, um, was a learning experience, a good one. I have to tell you a story. So (laughs) that you remember that was right in the beginning of COVID. Mm -hmm. And um, so we couldn't use, we couldn't shoot photos. We had to use older photos. And I had done a shoot for a different magazine a couple years before. And so we used photos that that photographer had shot. Well, um, one of the photos was taken in the Casada factory. And there was a roller in the background of one of those photos. I was in the factory like a year ago 
And uh, it was right my first trip after the after I could start traveling again. So February of of twenty one, I guess, mm-hmm. or March twenty one. And uh, one of the guys in the factory said, "Hey, you see this guy? Um, he wants to meet you. He saw this magazine um, that you were in, but he was in the picture, and he wants a copy of the magazine." And I kept forgetting to bring it on this last trip, just whatever, last week. I brought four copies of the magazine and I brought it down and I walked into the Galera and I, I pointed at the guy and I was like, you, and I opened up the magazine and I handed it to him, bro. It was like he was on the cover of Rolling Stone. The entire Galera stood up and started clapping and going crazy. It was amazing, man. That we did very good timing, I would say, with that, that whole article. That was like perfect timing. Not that we wouldn't have done it, you know, with Ferry Otago, but it was just good timing, I think, because it focused on more so like your your time in the industry than it did just product. Because product stories for me kind of, you know, I mean, products come and go, especially now in the industry with everything being so limited in nature. Um, but the focus on like, like I said, that story, that journey and the music that, you know, your musical background and all this other stuff. It was a really good story. But like I said, you taught me a lot about how to how to really craft the story. So I had to thank you for that because every, yeah. even today I was working on stuff and I was like, Michael, what Michael Herklotz say? Michael Herklotz would say, don't, don't, you know, don't just type out, you know, the thing. If you can find a good quote, you know, that they actually said, like, make, have them say the quote. Don't sit here and describe yeah. it. So it was, a, you were very good. Well, when you're ready to craft another one, you let me know, bro. I would definitely let you know. So getting back to Ferry Otego. So you decide you're going to venture off and do Ferry Otego. Where did that, like, how did you start this process of like the products beyond like the Nat Sherman products that you knew that you wanted to bring back? Because you had two blends and we had a comment earlier um, that's, you know, somebody posted Generosa, Elegancia, Timeless Sterling are insanely tasty. Open the smoke of all of the others that's Dan from wooden Indian tobacco um, shop. Um, where did the idea Rosso and Elegancia? My, my thought for what Ferry Otego was going to be um, came before even the um, ability to acquire the Nat Sherman brands. So uh, that work began really right when, um, we announced the closing, spoke to lots of people. Everyone was encouraging me to do my own thing. And I figured, okay, I'm going to do this Ferriotego concept, two blends, one size, humidified packaging. That's going to be the plan. So I engaged with the factories, specifically Placencia and Quesada, right at the end of the summer, early fall. I guess it was early fall. Um, because by that point I had worked with both factories intimately for nine years. We had created successful blends together and I had blends in the hopper that I was playing with just for future projects, whatever the need would be. Now the need was mine. (laughs) And, and so both factories were immediately, and I, I can't express my gratitude enough. Quesada and Placencia both said, brother, whatever you need, you got and so we immediately engaged in some of the old, I had some samples at home from previous runs. I smoked through the samples. I made my notes and we started making new samples. And so Ferry Otego, Elegancia, and Generoso were actually put in play before the end of the year, 2020, to get ready for 2021. Because I figured by the time I figure out what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it, at least by then I'll have some inventory, but I need... We have to start that process first. So we did the work so that when the factories opened in January, production could start right away and get the cigars in aging. But by that time, um, we had then also closed the deal for the acquisition of the other brands. And that was a much bigger lift. So when we started in January, we put in the orders for um, Elegancia and Generoso, and then immediately went to work on trying to um, redevelop the nine blends that we were going to lead with, which are the five metropolitan and the four timeless, which in hindsight, I realized was absolutely a ridiculous undertaking to think that 
that we would go live with nine blends across two brands, not to mention the two Ferio Limiteds. I mean, that was really, um, that was a very big ask from the factories. But remarkably, we did it. And everybody, you know, this, this really hits me uh, as just mind-blowing every time I think about it. When you think about the challenges that every cigar company faced in 2021 with stockouts, with supply chain issues, with staffing issues, with shortages, I don't know a company that didn't have back orders. How is it possible that we had nine blends across 42 SKUs in a warehouse by November? The only way that's possible is every single factory and vendor put us in the front of the line. And that's, uh, you know, they didn't have to do that. And they did. All of them did. And, um, and so we were able to get those blends perfected and in production. And the box factories ramped up production. And the, the printing factories, cigar rings, there was no shortage of work for them. They were printing in Dominican and Nicaragua. They added extra shifts. And yet we still had our stuff on time, if not early. And that's because they believed in this project as much as I did. And they they gave it everything they had just like we did. And then we we made it to market. Now, ultimately, we held Metropolitan until January just to give people breathing room because I think we recognized how ridiculous the pace was. But we had it in the warehouse in November. We had it. That's an unbelievable pace, Herculean feat. And that's because everybody gave it everything. Um, and so, you know, it's, how did we do it? I have no idea how we did it. I, we, we did it because I asked politely to people who I love and admire. And they said yes to someone who I hope they love and admire. And away we went. And just, you know, these two sticks, so these were limited in nature just because I would think the pandemic and like you said, the timing and the pacing and everything else um, going on. But uh, I mean, what are your long-term plans for these two brands? So Ferriotego, Elegancia and Generoso, the easiest way to think about the, the model behind those two is wine. So in any good wine house, let's say uh, a house in, in Sonoma, they've got a Cabernet and a Chardonnay, and they make them every year with the hope of trying to recreate that classic style that that particular brand is known for, but also recognizing that there may be some variations year to year because in wine, everything in the bottle is the expression of the harvest. Now in cigars, we don't have that same model. In cigars, we uh, blend with all different harvests and vintages and leaf positions and seeds. Um, and those change all the time in order to maintain the exact same experience. The plan for Ferriotego, Elegancia, and Generoso is to give a little more room. The plan is to do annual limited releases of Elegancia and Generoso with enough inventory to hopefully satisfy the demand of that particular year. Um, but with the full anticipation to exhaust that inventory and make room for it to return in the following year. So 2022, for example, is aging and those will be released hopefully um, spring. Um, and then those will be sold through and we'll welcome them back in 2023 uh, with Elegancia and Generoso again. And the idea of the format and packaging is also like following wine. We've we've eliminated a lot of the decisions. You don't need to think about what format to buy. Just like when you buy a bottle of wine, generally it's 750 milliliters. You don't need to think about how many bottles to buy because usually a case of wine is 12 bottles and this is a humidor of 10. And last, for a lot of my friends um, who are not huge cigar enthusiasts but really love cigars, I'm always met with the question, what do I do with them? 
Well, you know, you don't put them in your sock drawer. You need to protect them. So we wa I wanted to put them in packaging that would protect them, that you could literally take the packaging and put that in your sock drawer, and those cigars would be preserved for infinity as long as you just replace the humidification pack. So we tried to solve for all those easy things um, and just make it simple and accessible for anyone to be able to love it, to appreciate it, to collect it, to um, to pay attention to you know potential vertical tastings down the road over time. So that's that's the plan for Ferio Tego, the the flagship. As it pertains to Ferio Tego, Timeless and Metropolitan, you know, Metropolitan dates back to 1994 and Timeless now is celebrating 10 years this year. That's a that's a whole lot of folks who love and expect those cigars to be the same and that's work that I'm proud of that we did for the 10 years that I worked at Nat Sherman, 9 years. Um and so that's still my obligation to do. It's my, it's an awesome responsibility to be able to carry on the legacy of Metropolitan that goes back to the nineties and make sure that the one that you smoke this time tastes the same and is as good as the one that you smoked the last time. And as same, the same and as good as the one you smoked the first time, even if that's 30 years ago. Now with Ferriotego, I know, Every entrepreneur who launches a business thinks at some point that they, you know, they look at the market that they're entering into and they have to figure out how to position their company or brands to be different from everybody else out there um, to stand out in, in the eyes of the consumer. So as you were kind of looking at Ferriotego and without giving away too many of your uh, marketing secrets, like how do you plan to position Ferriotego to be different from all the other cigar brands? Like what's going to make it different? Um, well, I don't have any marketing secrets. I don't even have a marketing department. It's just me and Brendan. So there's no secrets. Um, from a brand story, we are different in every way. There is no story like ours. So if, if, I'm being as authentic and truthful and honest as I can be that every single point I could raise is a point of differentiation from every other company on the market today, because there's only one Ferry Otago story. Uh, but there are some, you know, there are some realistically uh, obvious uh, aspects that stand out. Number one, uh, we're manufactured in all three major manufacturing countries that are sold in the United States of America, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Dominican Republic. Um, we have brand new, uh, exciting blends with Ferriotego, Elegancia, and Generoso, and some uh, projects to come in limited editions. But we also have a portfolio of legacy products. Uh, and as, as much as we love what's new, what's new, what's new, our industry was, was built on core. And if you, if you were to pull the, the cigar enthusiasts throughout the United States, um, I think you would find that while we all love new things, I do too. We, we love things that we can depend on because we can depend on them. And there, is, there are a lot of brands that have been in market for decades, blends that have been in market for decades. But I don't think there is a portfolio that is as uh, thoughtfully curated and maintained as ours is. That you could pick up a metropolitan Connecticut made in Dominican by the Casada family since 1995 and you can light it up today and recognize it as a portal directly back into a moment in time in 1995 when that blend was developed that for me is a huge point of pride and i'm very proud of the ferriotego blends i really believe it's my best work uh but i'm almost more proud of the consistency of Metropolitan. You know, those 1994 for host, 1995 
for Connecticut and Maduro. Timeless Prestige 2010. Creating new blends is not an easy thing to do, but to maintain them year after year after year after year when every single ingredient and component is changing, how do you keep them the same? That is an unwavering commitment to the craft. And I'm committed and the manufacturing partners are committed and they've demonstrated that through my nine years when it was my responsibility at Nat Sherman. And so we intend to carry that on. Uh, and so I would, I would invite anyone to not just enjoy our cigars that are new, but, but taste, um, taste our blends that are legacy and, and understand, um, understand the role that those blends play in the arc of the premium cigar industry story. There's a, there's a lot to, to the industry story. And I think if you look at the industry in these sort of snapshots, even if you just look at the last decade, uh, if, if every milestone of our industry was a line on a chart, there would be a lot more lines as you get into the last uh, five years because just more happens, more releases, more companies, more brands, more blends, more everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I believe that each one of those lines, at least for the lines that we contribute, must be meaningful. They have to fill a void. There's got to be a why for the reason that we are selling them. And so I can absolutely defend the nine reasons why our nine blends, our nine legacy blends are restored to market. And I can definitely tell you why Elegancia and Generoso are in market. I think that's so important what you said that you know the why because a lot of businesses don't always communicate the why and i think consumers especially cigar consumers they're a lot more savvy than you know any other consumer group they want to know why you know they want the story they want to feel like they're buying something that's you know but consumers are diverse as humanity itself and there is something for everyone. So if you like the new, 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 new rock and roll, go for it. There are people who are doing that and they're doing it tremendously well, better than I ever could, because it's just not, it's not who I am. But I believe that if we're going to build a brand, we have to build a brand that is absolutely authentic and transparent to, to me and to Brendan and to our philosophy and to our model. And so our model is not um, the bright, shiny object and four new releases a month. We just can't do it. And I don't believe in it. What I believe in is um, thoughtful and deliberate releases that will be able to stand out among um, the, the population of releases at the time, whether they are new or whether they are legacy, that our portfolio will always be relevant regardless of when you look at it. Uh, and so that's why Timeless resonates. It's why we created Timeless in the first place is because Nat Sherman was such a timeless, thoughtful portfolio of products even back then that we created Timeless um, to celebrate that commitment to consistency. Now, what have you learned about yourself in this Barry Otago chapter of your life? What have you, lear what have you learned about yourself you know, I'm sure that there's been discoveries, like I said, since getting out of that corporate conglomerate type uh, business environment. And now you're kind of on your own with the help of Davidoff, of course, to, to distribute it. But it's I'm sure it's a completely different setup than what you've been used to all these other years of working in the cigar industry. Um. I have learned first um, that smart people ask for help and dumb people think they can do it by themselves. I shouldn't say dumb people because actually I'm sure there are very capable people who can do it by themselves. Um, the dumb people are the ones who can't, but 
can't recognize it. And, right. and that's dangerous. So I've certainly learned um, to ask for help when I need it and to ask for guidance from people who are smarter than I. Um, I have learned to not take relationships for granted. Um, you know, going back to how do you, how do we do nine blends and 42 SKUs in 11 months? I've talked about that a lot casually with, with friends, like just how remarkable a feat that is. And, um, people tend to say that, well, you're, you're a nice guy. And I, that's very nice of them to say. Um, but when I think back to my childhood and how I was brought up, I was always taught to be respectful, um, to treat people the way I would like to be treated, never burn a bridge, um, always preserve your relationships, always be networking, you know, these constant adages from my father and my grandfather that in the back of my head, I'm like, come on, old man, like, what are you talking about? Uh, but I, I can't think of a, of a more illustrative example of the value of those core tenants than the success of Ferry Otego in a very short amount of time. Um, with very few exceptions, when I've asked for help, I've gotten it. And when I've asked for a sale, I've been given a shot. And, you know, that's, that's all I can ask for, but it's, um, it's gratifying, but it's, it's humbling, you know, that, that people are willing to, to put their money up and invest in me in, in a far more personal way than what it was when I did that for Nat Sherman or when I did it for Davidoff before. This is profoundly personal because every, every dollar somebody invests in Ferry Otego, it doesn't, it's not going to a company that ultimately, you know, I get a paycheck from it's, it's going to a company that I own that, that my family will depend on and that so many families depend on Brendan's family, the Casada family, the Placencia family, Davidoff and their employees, all the employees that work in these factories. It's a, it's an awesome, um, responsibility and feeling. And I suppose it's, it's a lot like, um, before my first daughter was born, people said, you know, wait till you have a, a child, you'll, you will experience love like you've never experienced it. And probably the same way I thought about my father and my grandfather saying, you know, don't burn a bridge. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm sure it's special, whatever. Uh, until the moment my daughter was born. And then I felt the most overwhelming sense of love that I've ever felt in a way that I couldn't express it. Um, but it also made me realize in that moment the love that my parents have for me in a way that I could never experience until I felt that for my own child. And to a certain extent, that's how I feel now. What I've learned is the responsibility of not just being a business owner, but specifically being a small business owner in this incredible industry. And I have sat for years with small business owners in the premium cigar industry, trying to be an advocate as a good employee of a company mm -hmm. um, and trying to say the things that are important about family businesses and why our, our industry is different. But let me tell you, it feels very different um, when you own it. And it feels very different. It was great when people bought Timeless before because that was my first blend. But it feels very different now when I see somebody post Timeless and it says exclusively for Ferry Otego. It's just a different feeling. And, and um, it's hard to explain what that is to answer the question what I've learned um, other than the the old age adage of we are the greatest industry and and this is family and and premium cigars are different that is true and it's never it's always rung true to me but it has never rung truer than it does today as an owner of Ferry Otego. now to flip the script a little bit as one of the final questions for today um you talked about how you when 
you were looking for advice or guidance on what to do next, um, how you went to other people. So pretend in the scenario that somebody comes to you, they say, Michael, you know, I want to go out on my own and start my own business. What advice would you give them? Don't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> besides the don't. I'm kidding. To say don't. <laughs> so besides don't, which is the easiest uh, response. Um, I think the first question I would ask is, are you ready? Are you really ready? And if the answer is yes, then I would say absolutely do it, but um, be ready to put in the work. There, you know, uh, not even going on your own. When people ask, you know, how do I, how do I do what you do? Mm -hmm. Was a question I was asked all the time when I worked for Nat Sherman. And my answer was always, well, first you get a degree in music and then you become a retail salesperson for six years and then you become a GM for two and then you become a GM for three because I don't know any other way than just the way I did it. But right. what I what I know for certain is it was not overnight and it's still not. It's now it's 22 or 23 years, whatever it is. Um, you've got to be willing to put in the work. That's number one. Number two is you have to listen more than you speak. We have a tendency, and I said it earlier, there's this tendency to want to be an authority and an expert. And that comes with time. But the more time you spend learning from smart people, the more you realize how much more you have to learn and that you are better off being quiet and listening than you are just speaking which obviously the last 55 minutes have not been a good example of me listening uh, and a very poor example of that, in fact. Um, but I, I guess my, that would be my response. Are you ready? And if you believe you are, then you have to be willing to put in the work and you have to be willing to listen. Assume that the model you have today to be successful may not be the model that becomes your success story. But if you are willing to put in the work and you are willing to listen and surround yourself with smart people, um, then I say go for it. Somebody asked earlier, um, you know, are you planning to do more touring of other areas, I guess, to visit different cigar stores now that uh, we're learning, I guess, to live with COVID uh, and adjust to life with COVID and all the restrictions? What's next for you and Ferio Tego? I, I would love to start traveling more. I actually am traveling quite a bit. I have been. But one of the things I learned from COVID, uh, so pre-COVID, I was probably gone realistically 15 to 20 nights a month. Um, and that was not a lot compared to some of my peers and friends in the business. And I really tried to manage that work-life balance to be home. I realized I did a poor job managing that work-life balance because 20 days a month away from my family is a long time. Um, now I'm getting back to traveling and I realize how important it is. And I realize the, the value of time spent with people, not just the time spent like this, mm -hmm. um, but as much as I love this, Antoine, the three minutes we spent in the booth together at TPE was profoundly more meaningful to me. Being able to give you a hug and catch up in person. I was like, oh, like, <laughs> like, it's like, feels great. That's what our industry is. We're, we're a, we are an industry that feels and tastes and embraces and loves. Um, and so I am going to get back out more. What we're trying to do right now is to just make absolutely certain another thing i've learned the most valuable thing in our lives is time and specifically the time spent with people we love and doing things we love and i love my family and i love my kids and i love my wife and i love spending time together and i love enjoying cigars and i love enjoying cigars with people who enjoy cigars and who sell my cigars and so i've got to create 
whatever that new balance is going to be. But I'm going to be just as deliberate and thoughtful as I am about launching a product. I'm also going to be very deliberate and thoughtful about launching myself into markets. I have to make sure that I'm spending thoughtful time with the people who are making our cigars to make sure that they feel appreciated. You know, I have not been to Nicaragua since Ferriotego began. Wow. That's that's shame on me, but it's been difficult to get there because of all the restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an incredible tribute to Placencia, who has delivered our products as if I were there. Um, but I need to spend time with them and I need to tell them in person with a warm embrace how much I appreciate what they've done for me and for our families. Um, but then I, certainly I was in Florida recently. Um, I'm going to be in Tampa. Um, I think the end of um, April, we're looking at Charlotte. I know um, now that we have the benefit of Davidoff's distribution, I'm in close contact with all our reps to make sure that we're spending time in key markets um, seasonally where it's appropriate. So to make sure we're in West Coast, we get to Texas, we get to the Midwest, and then sprinkle back in Southeast and Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, when it's the most seasonably appropriate. Uh, So I am working on it. Um, but it's it's difficult to fit it all in and stay committed to uh, a family who I love. But I am working on it. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up for today, I know there there's some people who are listening to this and they're not are not watching it. So for those people who cannot see the banner that's on the bottom of the screen, would you mind telling them what websites they need to follow, what social media stuff they need to follow in order to keep up with you and Ferio Tego? I would love to for everything. Me um, is, is Michael Herklotz. So Michael Herklotz on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, although I don't use that much, but it's still there. Um, and for all things, Ferriotego company and brand is at Ferriotego, except for Twitter, which is at Ferriotego cigars. But if you just Google search Ferriotego, thank God the Google verse is doing what it's supposed to do. And, uh, and we are a very easy company to find, and I'm a pretty easy person to find. And I would be super grateful if you would follow us on our journey. And for those of you who have been, I'm certainly grateful for all of your support, and I hope I can count on it in the future. Well, I want to thank you for coming back on and subjecting yourself to all my questions uh, for, <laughs> for a second round. Um, I've learned so much uh, from you over the years. So Anytime I get to catch up with you is always uh, enjoyable. And I did have fun. You were one of those people I wanted to definitely see when I was at TPE. So uh, hopefully I'll get out to PCA this year and I will love to um, catch up with you again there in person. So, um, Well, let's make sure that happens if you're out there. And if you're not out there, let's make sure we do this again before two years goes by. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. So. I want to thank you for coming on, Michael. I want to thank everybody else for watching it. We seem to have lots of comments today of people um, who want to wish you success, Michael. And uh, they had fun learning more about Ferriotego. So um, that's always great. And that's the kind of goal of Deep Cuts is to give you an hour of kind of deeper questions and just wrapper binder fillers um, in terms of cigars. So uh, let me tell you, man, let me just throw in, you do an incredible job at this. It is not easy to put together shows it's not easy to advocate for our industry. There are a lot of people out there throwing out content, but you curate content in a really meaningful way that makes our industry better. So I'm very grateful that you had me on. And um, even for all the other people that you have on, that's not me. Uh, <laughs> I love watching it and I love what you do. So just keep on doing it. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's, it's fun. I don't think I would do it if it felt like work. So this is extracurricular for me. So uh, I love to learn. I love to talk to people like you. So it's all just been a, a great learning experience, having an hour with people, powerhouses like you to just glean information from. <laughs> so um, I've enjoyed it. Like I said, thank you for coming on. Thank you, everybody who's watching this or who listened to it in playback mode. Um, for those of you who have not seen Deep Cuts before, go to deepcutslive.com. There's plenty of uh, 
more articles and videos like this of interviews. And uh, if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, make sure you hit that like button or the follow button to follow us to get notifications for all the new uh, interviews we have coming up. We have another interview coming up on Thursday with Bradley Rubin from Alec, Alec Bradley Cigars. And then we have like two interviews a week for the next couple of weeks. So it's going to be pretty busy, but great, a good kind of busy. <laughs> so the best kind of busy it is. So thank you all for watching. Um, and like I said, check out deepcutslive.com for all of our new content and have a good night, Michael. And you too. Bye for watching. Definitely.